electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber of the New York Stock Exchange. Futures are weak. Dow looks to go flat for the year once again as the number of coronavirus cases leaps by 1,000 overnight. we got earnings from Coke, Verizon, Tesla, Facebook. We'll get to all of it. Europe's down about a percent. Ten-year 157 now as Q4 GDP prints 2-1 and the weakest annual growth since 2016. Our roadmap begins with the virus fears hitting the street, border closings, flight cancellations, business closings as the number of cases now surpasses the total number of SARS cases in the 03 epidemic. We'll talk to the new head of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, HHS Secretary Alex Azar, this hour. Plus, we are capping off the busiest two days of earnings season. We've gotten upbeat reports from Tesla and Microsoft. Both stocks will be up, but 47 of the S&P 500 companies are reporting today. We'll try to get to them all. And Facebook's one of them, of course, from last night, tumbling ahead of the open. Stocks under pressure on concerns about margins and a sharp rise in expenses. In fact, let's start there. Slumping in the pre-market despite that quarterly beat. Investors focus on a 51% rise in expenses and narrowing operating margin. On the call, Mark Zuckerberg did talk about his goal for the next decade. One critique of our approach for much of the last decade was that because we wanted to be liked, we didn't always communicate our views uh, as clearly because we were worried about offending people. So this led uh, to some positive but shallow sentiment towards us and, and towards the company. And my goal for this next de- decade isn't to be liked, uh, but to be understood. Because in order to be trusted, uh, people need to know what you stand for. Jim, kind of an evolution of what they've been telling us for several quarters. Yeah, that, that was the pull quote from the entire, uh, it, it actually is a metaphor for what they're saying, which is, look, we got to spend money, we we got to do what's uh, right, uh, and what's right not necessarily is good for shareholders. There's a lot of people saying it's flatlining. I'd love to have a business that's flatlining like, like this company. Uh, I, I know that the, there's many people who downgraded this, upgraded it. Obviously, what I think happened was, by the way, there was a, a firm that put on a strong buy right at the end, and a lot of us felt that they had to know something. It turned out they knew nothing. Uh, look, Instagram's great. Facebook is not that great. Obviously, they're talking about parent Facebook. Uh, political ad spending is good, but you know, we've got the red hot button there and uh, payments, significant opportunity, but that wasn't stress. Regulatory issues are a headwind, okay? But I, uh, and I know that they have to spend more money to police, but what I come back to is, is say it's still a great franchise. It's not growing as fast. People were saying, well, it's the slowest it's grown since the IPO. Well, if we remember, the IPO was the hottest IPO pretty much ever. So I don't want to give up on Facebook. My trust owns it. We did sell some higher, but we own it since like 25. And I come back and I say, I think that that, that quote is somewhat from the people I've heard a little misinterpreted, which is that, well, wait a second. He doesn't want to be liked. Well, did he ever want to be liked? I mean, now he's like, turns out he was. that's what being liked I, I was. I was half expecting him to say, we're, now we want to be feared. Remember from that old, you know, I'd rather be 
would you rather be liked or feared yeah. right, from that movie? But um, I, I, I want to be more supportive than the market's indicating. But when you see a stock down 15, it means it's not done. Well, it's let's, keep listen, selling. it's a classic example of an expectations miss, yes. given the fact that Tesla almost always uh, overdelivers, and they always talk about it. Facebook in, or Tesla? Excuse me. Facebook always overdelivers in, in, in terms of expense yes. guidance, for example, right. where they guide you to a number, and then they come in lower. Uh, and so that has been the, uh, the custom, and I think the buy side and the sell side have both gotten so accustomed to it that they have expectations that were higher. Um, but the expense is, structure is not as good. No, and there is focus on this deceleration of ad growth, right? I mean, that's kind of key. The yeah. trajectory of slowing advertising growth uh, and the feeling that they would beat by a healthy margin, and right. they didn't. No, they didn't, and it is an expectations issue. Uh, I do think, remember, the buying back stock, they have like $50 billion in cash. They can do a lot of different things, a lot of optionality. But people are just focused on the fact that, wait a second, maybe this was a model that really was great when they didn't have to do anything, and now they have to do things and it costs them money. If, if Q1 revenue comes in sub-20, is that a psychological demarcation point or not? Well, you know, Alphabet had that same kind of deceleration, yeah. and what happens is it just gets a very low multiple, gets a multiple X cash that really is well, nowhere But that's near, what right? people are going to come back to. I talked yeah. to some this morning. It still trades at 20 times gap EPS. I know. It's, and it's growing lower. its top line faster than that. Well, I mean, I, look, I think that like I said, there's just many people who loved it as hated it today. But the overall sense was that uh, this is not as good a quarter as they said. And that this time it's real. You know, it's kind of like Scooby-Doo, David. Mm-hmm. You know, this time it's real. Remember that? Sorry, this time, this time the, the monsters are real. I know that Zook probably doesn't. You're not allowed to call him that. But I, I do think that when he talked about that, it was like, well, wait a second. What is t- trusted principles? How much is that going to cost? It tried to put a dollar amount on trusted principles. David, I, I, I don't know I don't how to do that. a podcast, you can't just say nothing. Sorry. I don't know how to put a, uh, no, and a that's multiple a, on Okay, so there you go. And there, that's where exactly where we are. And, and Leave I, it at that. I don't know how to put a multiple on trusted It's hard to principles. imagine this is going to become a more trusted platform in the months ahead, frankly, given everything that's coming at it as we move deeper Insta- into the political. Instagram um, remains the single best way to get your voice out. Facebook flatline. Instagram is, remember, but they don't break out Instagram. They did this kind of, this family. No, they're now the, the family. That thing, was, yeah. you know, we are family and we're cutting numbers. <laughs> I mean, nah, I didn't like that. I mean, I, I just think that they can't, it seems like they can't play up Instagram because it basically says, all right, the other real business is a dud. And it's not. But Instagram remains, if you want to sell something, you sell it by advertising on Instagram. Tesla's the other big story, of course, uh, surging in the pre-market, set to open at a record high on better-than-expected numbers last night. Automaker sees deliveries exceeding a half million this year. Elon Musk did take a turn, digging at analysts in last night's call. I do think that a lot of the retail investors actually have uh, deeper and more accurate insights than um, many of the, the, the big institutional investors and, uh, and, and certainly better insights than many of the analysts. All right, so where are we now? Given well, margins, deliveries. That was fabulous. It's a great quarter. And the idea that they're, it's fatuous to compare Ford and GM, it's demand. Like, they can make more money the more cars they put out. I wish Ford could say that. Ford can't say that. I mean, this is a great demand issue. Uh, he's right about the analysts. I mean, they're all trying to play catch up. Uh, Tony Saganegi, who's now become the pinata for everything other than Steve Tusa. Sorry, Steve, I didn't mean that. Is, he says it's hard to win a religious war is the name of his piece, which is that this is basically a, a, a messianic situation. Uh, and you have lapdog retail investors. I tend to disagree with the with I tend to agree with Elon. If you love the car, then you ended up 
like Netflix, loving the stock, which made you money. Uh, if you love the car, like Amazon, you made money. So it's in that it's in the orb of Amazon, and it's in the orb it's like of the old Peter Netflix. Lynch school sort of. Yes, yeah, if you yes. Love the product beyond me too. No, well. it's not Victor Kayam. Um, does anyone even? Well, he bought that? the company. Yes. Yeah. No, I I am adamant that this is one where, as he puts out new models. What he says is, and this is incredible. Now, we we're not allowed to mention the name of the game on Sunday because of copyright. It's a big game on Sunday. <laughs> the game, that's you're right, going true. to see a huge number of auto ads. Huge. And you're going to, like, maybe say, you mute them, whatever. What he says, point blank, is imagine, we don't have to advertise because our cars are the advertisement. So, I mean, that's just, doesn't why, that tell you a lot? To use your Netflix analog, why is, do you not believe there'll be a Disney Plus equivalent in the, in the car space? No one's... It's really incredible. You have executives from major car companies saying our EV doesn't sell. That's not really an EV, you know, the electric vehicle. What, what that is is a vehicle that is filled with technology. You know that the actual real emphasis in the conference call I felt was battery and making battery life longer. And by the way, David, you know, battery day is coming up sometime in April. Okay. And we're just going to have, maybe we take off. We talked to maybe our executive producer, Todd Bonin. Battery say, day. We're going to take off for battery day. What is battery day, Jim? A, a day to celebrate batteries, man. Oh, okay. which is where it's all at. Yeah, right? that is the golden that, ticket. Yes, and it, it, look, he's so smart. There is, remember, California. You have to, if you're how there's a nice retail question. He, is, he actually has real people ask questions. It's kind of like it's a really exciting conference call. It's like, okay, let's have a real person ask a question. The real person say, well, in California, everybody has to have solar and new houses. How are we going to do? Well, we're going to kill it. We're going to make a lot of money. And so it's it's really a great conference call. Um, I think your not point as as on the other point. EVs is very interesting. In, in fact, there's just not demand for no. their competitors because there's a perception that, the, that may be the reality that they're making a better product. I think that it is reality. It's terrific. I don't know if you guys have driven it. I'd love to drive it. Uh, you know, when I sat down in it, my daughter pressed the whoopee cushion uh, flatulence button. So you have one now. No, I do not have one. David, I don't have one. You don't. I have a 2006 Lexus, okay? Okay. 2006, David. Got it. All right? That's a long time ago, Yeah, Jim. David, my suit's worth more than my car. <laughs> There's a good piece out. Uh, UPS, we're going to talk to David Abney in the next hour, who made a large purchase of commercial EVs in the UK. Yes. And this idea that it's actually going to be the commercial side that will sort of indoctrinate consumers to say, hey, this EV thing is for real. Yes. And look, they're... When they look in Germany, they're going to build a plant, okay? And he's going to be able to. Sell, they cleared the ordinance. The dead, you know, the seven. They found seven uh, U.S. bombs in the in, in Berlin, Berlin. You're talking about where, they need, where yes. they're making but the new factories. But he doesn't even do. Imagine this. He goes to the heart of German engineering. You know what we ever hear about German engineering? And he's putting a plant there, and he's going to be able to sell every single one. Now I've been in the Beamer EV. Eh. Eh. You know. Yeah. Eh. Solar glass roof. Don't you love that? Yeah. Do you have one? No, I don't. But I'm excited by the prospect You're, of it. Yeah, we, we get a house. Oh, you have that. Yeah, I have a house. Yeah, all right. Yeah. I don't have solar yet, though. No? No. Okay. okay. We barely heat it, though. Stay tuned. <laughs> 
Guys, let's touch on coronavirus really quick. It is pressuring stocks around the globe. Uh, as we get more news overnight, officials say the death toll is now 170, 7,900 cases around the world, surpassing SARS, as we said at the top of the hour. The World Health Organization is going to hold their emergency committee meeting today. We'll see what they come up with to determine whether or not it's a public health emergency. Google closing offices. We've heard from Starbucks, Mondelez. Um, Times with a piece on how the world's realized, Jim, how much it needs China for growth. Yeah, and also, I mean, 6,000 passengers on an Italian cruise ship currently blocked because a Chinese woman came down with fever. And yeah, I think the world's going to slow because, well, Jay Powell, the Fed chief, really acknowledged that. Uh, I, I, look, I think the next news that you're going to get is that we have something on this, that we, we have a development, that we have some great people on it. Uh, but if you go back to Ebola, what happened in the chain of, of stock, the market kept going down, 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 and then someone who did not go to Africa died of Ebola, and then a week later began this remarkable run in the stock market. Now, uh, could history repeat itself? Well, that's what happened with Ebola, and uh, this, obviously Ebola is much more lethal than this, but I wish the Chinese would tell us more, so does everybody else. Right? I mean, if you take the temperature of a person, it means nothing. No, right, but there they have it. Well, that's the problem. What, what the problem, so to speak, is you're desperate. not necessarily showing signs. Yeah. So 250,000 people have apparently arrived from China and the U.S. on airplanes. That was according to Ron Klain, the Ebola czar, who we had on the other day. Is that good to just keep having people 8,000 a day? We'll ask, uh, we'll ask the Secretary yeah. Azar about it. Yeah. Um, because right, you Russia don't necessarily show it. symptoms. And so conceivably you could have it not. But how about the thing? Do you ever hear anyone, don't you think China should say, well, look, uh, yes, it's gr- uh, more people are getting it, but the death rate is much lower than in the United States right now for our flu. It is. In terms of the... It is. It is? Do we, yeah. we know... Right, well, no, based but, on but at least it, the numbers... People, people don't therefore believe the number because right. we Nobody know that 8,200 people have died of our flu, 150, you know, 15 million contract, 140,000... Uh, just some ch- children, unfortunately, just died of our, in our our, in flu in our country. But it doesn't. It would if in China we'd be playing it up big. I don't know. I don't want to overdo it. I've spoken to a number of doctors who say, please be calm. Uh, Keep your hands away from your face. Works better than the mask. And then I have other doctors who said, you know, we're all going to get it. Kind of like Billy and Predator. Barricade yourself in your home. Doctors are these. Captain Trips in the stand. I don't want to go there. Self. uh, What? Self deport. What are you supposed to know? That was what Romney said, right? Self, self-deport. You transpond me off this planet. Self-isolate? Self-isolate, okay. Yeah. Well, that's you have no problem being self-isolate. I actually am social. Well, you do like to get to out. Self-isolate. Yeah, I like to get you out. I like to you get out. Always I'm with a tie on, though, so that's good. That's true. Touch I've... your face with your tie. <laughs> touch that's my a good face idea. at all. 2,000 times the average person touches the face, so don't touch your face. In a day? In a 24-hour day, period? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Try to, to, to cut that in half at least. Yeah, you're making a joke about it, huh? <laughs> when we come back, as David says, the government's response to the coronavirus. We'll talk to HHS uh, Secretary Alex Azar. We'll get Kramer's mad dash. We'll count down to the opening bell. We'll get to Microsoft, Coke, Verizon, DuPont, UPS, Altria, and more when we return. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. 
Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. So many earnings, so little time. We've only hit Tesla and Facebook so far as the features. But Microsoft, of course, reporting after the bell yesterday, Jim. So let's hit it in the mad dash here, wow. given it's up this morning. You know, Saudi Nadella, when I interviewed him, he was saying, listen, our shareholders are going to uh, have given us the right to go carbon negative. Well, you know what? They get they have the right again. David, Azure, which we know is the driver here, the cloud, up 62%. Do you know almost every line item in this thing was better than expected, except for gaming, and that's just because they have a transition. Uh, the margins are terrific. It's a, uh, it is just a solid call. If it were not for the coronavirus, I think the stock was, would be on a beeline to 200. It, it is really, uh, it is a great quarter. Apple is a great quarter too, but this is just the most consistent growth company that no one talks about. And, I mean, no one talks about meaning it's not in trouble. It's not like Facebook. Right. There's nothing on this thing about uh, suddenly, you know, you just, now you're going to have to start disliking me. There's nothing to dislike between no. uh, Sadia and Amy Hood. They the numbers are, are you know, if not for Apple the other day, $11.6 billion in net income would take everybody's breath away. But, of course, right. Apple reporting $22 billion, uh, well, to put it, that in some perspective. It was funny. Apple was talking about the numbers at the same time that the Fed was talking. And I was conscious that the Fed's numbers about how much they're buying and selling far smaller than what Tim Cook does. Those numbers are incredible. Yeah, but I like this quarter very on the much. Cloud for me, Jim, because the question is going to be as we wait for Amazon's earnings right. after the bell tonight: uh, Is their cloud business giving up any share, I, or is it simply that the market continues to grow at such a pace that you can have Microsoft succeed so strongly in cloud and Amazon as well? Well, I'm afraid there's going to be a race to the bottom. Uh, in order to get some really in terms great of pricing. Yes. I mean, uh, Sadia talks about National Retail Federation gave a great speech. And he's talking about getting Walgreens. Uh, he, he talked about getting Walmart. Well, I mean, you're not going to get these guys just by service. Although he does point out that it, to move, to migrate from a Microsoft corporate to the Microsoft cloud is one fifth the cost of Amazon. So, I mean, he's got a great story. Obviously, Amazon Web Services is the best, is fantastic. It's been the dominant right. player, but we, we know that Microsoft has moved up on it. And Google, by the way, has become more aggressive as well. Yes, we got with their Thomas Curian. So, yeah, but it is the fastest growing. You listen to Lisa Sue in a widely misinterpreted conference call. Uh, the cloud is the greatest secular story of, the t- of our time. But, yeah, I mean, I think it, you, if you're Amazon... Do you need to acknowledge other? We have the competitors are nipping. We'll see what it. We'll see what it looks like tonight remember, with AWS. And, Meanwhile, the stock has out underperformed. Well, that, it's because of it's because of Azure. You it think really so? Is. It's because yeah. of Azure. Yeah, Azure's great. Not because Bezos is David, like, wearing crazy clothes. Azure's and dancing a, all over the place. That is no, no. David. To okay. even Azure revenue grew sixty two percent. David, don't go there. I won't because there are other people. Turns out there's other people at Amazon too. Yes, there are. Well, we look forward Fabulous to that. Fabulous we'll, CFO. We'll be here tomorrow discussing it, I'm sure. Regardless. Will we? Yes, we will. Okay. You're in tomorrow, right? Yeah, but you've been sick. I have been. And that's why. Just with a cold. Yeah. A cold. <laughs> yeah. A common cold. Yeah, sure. Yes. What, do you have the Modelo? Which, which, by the way, they still haven't figured out a cure for either. No. no. That's the rhinovirus. We act as if it didn't. Rhinovirus takes, can hurt people. Yeah. It doesn't feel good to have a cold. All right, coming up. Shares of service now. There's another company, of course, that reported earnings. They are up uh, this on its first quarterly report since Bill McDermott became the CEO. He's going to tell us about his game plan for growth at the company. Stick around. A lot more Squawk on the Street. 
You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Number of companies that have cited coronavirus as affecting results now includes Hershey, Starbucks, Mondelez, Apple. Uh, we're going to talk more about that with HHS Secretary Alex Azar on the coronavirus outbreak in a moment. In the meantime, futures are weak and the opening bells in six minutes. You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street, live from the financial capital of the world. The opening bell in three minutes on uh, this busy Thursday. Of course, the coronavirus concerns around the world continue. We'll see what uh, the World Health Organization says when they convene their emergency committee uh, this afternoon. We haven't really touched on what Powell did say at large about repo operations receding into Q2. Yeah, look, I I thought Powell gave you the safety net yesterday. I I mean, I think the issue is this how the newness of this virus makes it so that you're listening to him in one ear and then you're hearing, well, this country's closing border and this plane is this and this many people and this and that. So, I mean, he's kind of a sideshow, but we got him on the right side. The market goes down. I kind of felt like, well, he's on your side and Microsoft's on your side. Tesla's on your side. Apple's on your side. But you're going to need every single thing on your side because I think that the economy is going to slow. I think he almost understated. He didn't want to scare anybody. I think the economy is going to slow because um, travel is really going to slow. Zervos, uh, David Zervos, yesterday said it was a somber uh, presser. You got the yes. curve inverted again today. Ten-year, yeah. uh, one five five. High yield spreads really didn't confirm any upside equity action yesterday. Back to a three percent mortgage. I got shown a three percent mortgage yesterday. Very good terms. Uh, I trying to get it at two point eight. So reflation trades dead for now. Yes. You don't want any cyclicals. You're back to yield. Hey, look, Ingersoll ran good number. Parker Hannafin, great number. Uh, but I can show you anybody. You, you take a classic like a DuPont, anything related to auto. It, it's a mixed picture. Uh, but no, I don't want to Tesla. Anything related to auto, look, I mean, Tesla. You know, autos don't sell except for the autos flatline or go down a little bit and have to advertise a lot as opposed to Tesla. But no, I mean, I think that we all... The world's slowing rather faster than China's we the largest uh, market for automobiles in the world right. by so far. So Germany's going to slow after the it's going to pick up. This is going to have an impact. And we it don't know to. yet what the full impact is going well, to be. We it, hope look, it's as limited we, as possible. When I talked to Len Schleifer, CEO of uh, Generon. Generon, remember, they had the, uh, some people would say they stopped Ebola. I know that I think Meg's up there today, Meg Terrell. But Len is very confident that we're going to come up with something. You don't hear that. You don't hear much talk about we're going to come up with something. And maybe that's our bad, because they do have it sequenced. They're certainly much better shape. Oh, no, I think it's just more a matter of time. Yes. Are we talking weeks, months, 
right? Yes, exactly. And J&J, of course, is conservative company as it is, talking about a long time. Remember, in Shanghai, you have one, one hospital per every 500,000 people. Bad ratio. 500,000. Let's get to the opening bell here. S&P 500 at the Real Time Exchange at the Big Board. It's the Long Island Center for Business and Professional Women at the NASDAQ. It's Lincoln Ryan, Hunt for the Bone Collector, airing on NBC. Actor Russell Hornsby doing the honors. David, uh, we got to get to this Altria Jewel valuation reset. Um, if you have time. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to do that, actually, because that was the key thing that stood out. Uh, in the report we got from uh, from Altria. Not to mention, though, of course, when you look at Altria's actual earnings, they have a smokable products one, and then they have a smokeless products yeah. uh, uh, section. But the jewel write-down is significant. Um, and let's get to it. They recorded a fourth-quarter non-cash pre-tax impairment charge of $4.1 billion related to its investment in Juul. Um, and so now for last year... Altria recorded a total of $8.6 billion in non-cash pre-tax impairment charges to the investment. Right. Remember that? $8.6 billion has been written down. They now are valuing the Juul investment at $4.2 billion. To give you a perspective here, they, when they announced the deal, it was a $12.8 billion investment for, for a 35% stake that gave uh, Juul, if I recall, a $38 billion overall value. So there you have it. Uh, 12.8 billion goes to 4.2, and by the way, they're still waiting for antitrust approval you know, to actually seek their board members. Hey, what kind of month was that? December, month of December, when they bought stake in Kronos, right at the time they did Jewel. Would you regard those as ill-advised? <laughs> they don't seem to have been particularly well timed. No. We know the problems that Jewel has had. You've been a very outspoken critic, of course. Well, because I watched yeah. Carl's documentary and. Uh, well, and then this agreement that for a year they're not going to pursue litigation against each other for conduct prior to the agreement. So it doesn't sound like the partnership's uh, blossoming by any means. No, no. And they, well, look, I mean, you know, they were very fast. I mean, I met with Jewel several times. They were always very quick to tell you that, listen, someone else is going to sell it if we don't. And they went with that big thesis that we're going to stop people from smoking and you know, I, I said said to myself, what a pack of lies. What a... And I said, yeah, I said to myself. Yeah. Now, don't forget, last year also included the dalliance with Philip Morris International. Uh, yeah. And that got serious, but they could not, could not get there. They could not figure it out when it came down to it. Um, and part of it may have been the, pro, the jewel um, difficulties. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of what they saw here. But... Uh, but that was the key from the Altria uh, release. Obviously, no shortage of other names to get to this morning. We hit Microsoft, we've hit Tesla, we've hit Facebook, we've hit Altria, guys. I don't know what else is. Uh, I mean, you mentioned top. DuPont briefly, Jim. Oh um, yeah, uh, you know DuPont. They had a bad first quarter. They're talking about having a uh, resurgence later in the year, but uh, it's a bomb. You know, DuPont has been a very tough investment. Ed Breen, uh, they're uh, saying basically, look, we got to get through. Uh, this first quarter. I mean, look, they have, they have, uh, they have auto. I mean, wow. auto is just awful. Yeah. I mean, look at Sherwin-Williams today with a miss on the top and the bottom line, right? Once a, once a high-flying name, and we know that home building's been strong, but they got exposure elsewhere, too. Yeah. Look, it, it's really incredible. I don't think we talk enough about what the heck happened to auto. 
because auto was something that you wanted to be in. Right. Because you wanted the lightweight and you wanted to be involved with batteries. And the only thing that makes money is, is Musk. And those who, in other words, those who provide to it are not. Even coatings. Even coatings. Although, Salt you know, is another name. But PPG, too, right? PPG has been handling it better than PPG. most. Uh, PPG is a very good company. But I do feel that you know, you're in, a, in purgatory if you have auto. Just purgatory. I don't know how you get out of purgatory. Yeah. Um, guys, here's a name that I don't mention and have not mentioned very often. It reported earnings as well. Uh, and I think it's worthy of uh, a little attention. It's Blackstone. Oh. Um, the largest uh, alternative asset manager out there reporting numbers uh, this morning. The conference call is going, uh, going on right now. Um, Blackstone stock doubled last year, if you hadn't noticed. Take a look at that. Uh, you know, Stephanie Link called him the whole thing. Did she? Yeah, on uh, Scott show. Stock was at 35. Um, you know, so this is going to double. The move, they're not there yet, but the consideration of C Corp, right, I, I believe. Right. They added right. $134 billion in assets last year. They're incredible. Uh, percentage wise, consider that when they have $571 billion overall, that's where they ended the year. So up 21% in a year, $134 billion of capital inflows. And I said this the other day, kiddingly, everybody wants to be in private equity. Now, obviously, so to speak, there are a lot more than just private equity, given right. how important real estate is for this company. And of course, it is run by John Gray, the man who built the real estate business with some deals for a while there that, you know, remember the Hilton deal? For a while, it wasn't looking great. It ended up fine and so many of the others. Uh, but they have just had an extraordinarily good run uh, as a stock and overall. And by the way, if you're an employee at that company, you're an employee at Blackstone, do you know how many billionaires they've created amongst their employee base, not just from owning the stock, but also from investing in the funds, which I would always argue, and John Gray would join us at Delivering Alpha, your, your funds perform extraordinarily well, your stock doesn't. And well, then Mark, suddenly, supposed to be jealous? Is what he's saying suddenly here. it did. I'm uh, very jealous? You no, want me to say that? Is that you want me to say? created an enormous amount of incredible wealth. Um, and and they get it because Jonathan Gray, by the way, is one of the most charitable guys I know. I, I want to say that. Who is? Jonathan Gray. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's always important to point that out. There's guys, especially in the era of Elizabeth Warren, yep. where every, every billionaire is created equally bad. Uh, no. I, and, and finally, uh, everybody wants to be a Blackstone. So yesterday, yes. during their presentation, Goldman Sachs sort of tried to point to this idea of, we've got a Blackstone hidden inside us what? in asset management. The Mr. O'Neill <laughs> took the stage. Take a look at this. Uh, one of their charts of so many that they had. But there it is. We're one of the top five altern- alternative asset managers, $320 billion, with credit, hedge funds, real estate. Oh, yeah, we're a mini Blackstone. We're not getting credit for it. When, so. when I got out of school, all you wanted to do was work at Goldman. Now, when you talk to younger people, they got the interview at Blackstone. Did you hear that interview at Blackstone? What? Can you get an interview at Blackstone? They, they still really want to work at Goldman, and then after, no, they after don't. yes, they do. do they really? After three years, they want to leave to go to Blackstone. So, so that's David Solomon's a training ground. That's the problem. He's just a training ground. Yeah, that's that's. He's just that's a way station. On the- and or they want to go to Apollo or KKR. By the way, almost all of which have had extraordinary runs in the market over the last year or so. The C Corp thing really caught on. Do they want to go to Facebook anymore? <clears throat> Different kind not of as brain. Much. I, left, hear, left I hear not as much that uh, that is the millennials. It's not Salesforce. They're not into it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you, when you get a resume these days, it's fluent in Salesforce. What is it? Fluent in Salesforce? What is that? Give me a translation. Was it? Can I do Google translation? Pretty quick upside here uh, from the opening lows, uh, down forty-four points now on the Dow. A lot of the weakness, Jim, as you uh, has said, is revolving cruise lines. Yeah. Uh, UPS is a drag. The UPS, uh, we should talk about that. David Abney is spending to grow. 
and he's being penalized for spending to grow in an industry where if you want to keep up with the uh, the Death Star, you have to. He has relationships with everybody, David Abney. He's working small, medium-sized businesses. Death Star is Amazon, by right. the way. He's quoting John Malone from a yes, couple of years from back. Your interview. The interview that we did. Uh, yeah. It was a great interview. Uh, but it was. I, I just think United, United Parcel is really being penalized for being forward-thinking. I think people just say, you know what, there's no end to the spending if you're in this business. And uh, I think that, that he should get more credit, but the stock's going to settle down because people say, oh, come on. It's just never-ending. It's just... It, it, with FedEx, United Parcel, it's just a bad business is what people think. And I think one day it'll be a good business. Um, I mean, it's not like Mondelez in the candy business. See that, Mondelez? Yeah. I want to see if John Ledger touch your, direct, you mes- face if direct messaged me. Oh, either, God, when, I've been whenever following Whenever Verizon you. or AT&T No, I've been numbers, following you in direct get, message with him. We get direct message from John. Let me see what he said. Uh, I've been he, getting you know, better ones than you. tells us that he isn't telling everybody in terms of, oh, look no, how it's bad not, it is. No, it's inside information. It's just um, like... He thinks but I mentioned it because Verizon reported numbers yesterday. AT&T ended up being down fairly sharply, um, in part, I guess, on the 945,000 subs they lost in video, even though it was less than had been lost previously. Oh, yeah. Weren't you surprised at how went, I was there. surprised it went down? So yeah, AT&T yesterday is down again today. AT&T, by the way, but Verizon also down, uh, buck twenty-three in earnings per share, um, excluding special. Uh, uh, let's see, operating revenue growth one point four percent over the fourth quarter of last year. Uh, they did have 852,000 retail postpaid net additions in wireless. Right. Uh, that's 588,000 of phones uh, of those, and that was up 12.6%. Um, just looking through here, I mean, nothing that one way or the other really moves things particularly. Cheap. Well, is it time, David, but again, to talk it about always is good to hear from Ledger saying we did so much better. But yeah, I'm not he getting, like, I'm he's got funny stuff. But I think yet. everyone has to realize that we're right now, let's say we're on a rival sports network. There are... 42 games ending today, and we are trying our best to present who was the biggest point scorer and what happened. And I find often it's woeful. I mean, I talked to a lot of companies ahead of time, and I got a good beat, say, on Coca-Cola. I think it's great. But by the time I finish Coca-Cola, it's time for UPS. UPS and it's DuPont. You 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 get up at 3.30 a.m., and your wife says, or your spouse or whatever says, are you out of your mind? You say, no. I mean, this is what you have to do, right, David? It's like college college game day. You want to cover the LSU score, but right. also the Montana State yes. score. Yeah. And the MAC, the MAC conference, David. Stop it. Uh, my nose On the podcast, I'm that, now I'm telling you, there, I didn't mean to curse, but you just touch your face constantly. Will you stop bothering me, please, about it? I'm going to start touching your you face. Just, just, you're not you going to like my, that. You touch my face, I'm going to wipe you with a Clorox wipe. <laughs> <laughs> Let's mention Southwest Airlines really quick, uh, moving lower this morning. According to a draft government report seen by the Journal, uh, the airline flew 17 million passengers on planes with unconfirmed maintenance records over a two-year period. Transportation Department reportedly calls out the FAA, characterizing its oversight of Southwest as lax, ineffective, and inconsistent. <sighs> a spokeswoman says the draft report includes unsubstantiated references to Southwest safety culture. Gary Kelly did talk to us about that culture last week. We've established a lot of trust with our customers over near 50 years, uh, and we're certainly not going to squander that now. I just know Southwest Airlines. I know our pilots. We hire very experienced pilots. On average, they have 6,000 hours of experience before we even hire them. Uh, So they are Expert on the 737, it is the only airplane that we fly. We're the gold standard when it comes to hiring, our flight crews, our training, our procedures, all of that. I never want to be lax when you talk about safety, but this is an issue that has come up at Southwest 
a couple of times in the past year. Yeah, geez, I, I think Gary Kelly's such a straight shooter. And when you hear 6,000 hours, I mean, some of the pilots overseas right. are, are one-tenth of that. And I, I mean, this, the allegations in terms of them being, the FAA being a little too cozy and with them. Why are they being picked on? Specific to Do you think they're being picked on, or do you think? I have no idea. Uh, I would love. We'll. I'm sure, Mr. Kelly. Let's get Gary back on. Comes comes on to address. Let's get Gary back on tomorrow morning. Let's get Gary back on. My guess is that he would be willing to do it here. Gary, I know you watch the show. You know, a wing strike. uh, I think in in Rhode Island where it wasn't reported uh, as it should have been. A number of different safety issues as well. It's an interesting read for the year. And I don't. I mean, I would fly Southwest ahead of. Pretty much everybody because of the pilots. The pilot, the, I, I don't know. We got to hear from him. It's kind of Joe Blake time for yeah, him. Yeah. Really quick, Jim. Uh, chips are enjoying a nice morning. Uh, Lamb Research, AMAT, Corvo. We got Western Dig tonight. Well, Corvo, a tremendous demand. Obviously, that's Apple. Lamb Research, my Chapel Trust owns it. Ever since Tim Archer, Timothy Archer took over um, from Martin Anstis, Timothy Archer was from the Novella side. Uh, he'd been buying back. He bought a huge amount of stock back. Uh, and said, listen, this is the low of the cycle. Everyone kind of laughed at him. But you know what? Uh, it was. They've got demand. Keep going up for both DRAM, for uh, NAND. They're, right. they're an amazing company. Fantastic balance sheet. Curvo, by the way, told you at 60 that things were much better. And people weren't listening. So Xilinx is the outlier. Oh, uh, Xilinx is too linked to certain contracts, base station contracts that aren't that good. Uh, they were the one who was ahead. People thought they were the 5G play. I'd rather buy Skyworks if you want 5G play. Even down here. Uh, Corvo's not, I don't you know, Corvo, I don't want to put cast aspersions on it, but Skyworks has a huge, great reputation with Apple. Stock re- uh, reported on a day when people didn't like the semis. Uh, I, think, uh, I think that it should be back. It should go back up. Guys, finally, just to recap the very top of our show, Tesla, of course, is by far the most uh, uh, significant gain or 10% gain. That stock is up 52% this month. Uh, what a horse. First month has not ended. Uh, $115 billion market value for Tesla. And you could have bet that he's going to get that payday now if it stays. Oh, he deserves. He deserves it. So do those guys. Apply. Everybody deserves it. I can't wait for the Republican Democratic primary. See how little these guys have when they're done. <laughs> okay. well, Iowa's Monday. Yeah, a little Schadenfreude. Iowa's close. It's called Schadenfreude. <laughs> all right, it's going to happen. Just like Lenin, my great great grandfather. Okay, shares of ServiceNow are on fire in fuego, delivering an earnings beat, offering stronger guidance. And a lot of it has to be with this brand new CEO who was so complimentary of all the previous CEOs because that's the way he works it. Joining us now, ServiceNow's new CEO, Bill McDermott. By the way, took the helm in November. We all know him from SAP. We also know him because he is a great guy, universally loved. I wish, wish I had a lot. University love. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to go right, right there, Bill. How much of when you say that the phone is ringing off the hook, I'm going to ask you to be immodest for a second. How much of this new business is your Rolodex? Uh, I give the, uh, the uh, ServiceNow team all the credit, Jim. I mean, it is an amazing company with an unreal culture. And as you know, digital transformation is the opportunity of our time. So the confluence of the market opportunity, the culture of this company, and the passion for our customers all came together at once. Well, I've got to tell you, you talked a lot about HR and customer service management. Yeah. These are very important silos. You do have, let's not let me say it, you've got an amazing Rolodex. Can you blow those out? I know that so far you got a 1,000 customers in customer service management. There's obviously, uh, you had a million-dollar deal, but you, couldn't you turn these into just uh, the new service now? Yeah, I mean, Jim, this is amazing. 
the opportunity in front of us is, is really gigantic. The TAM, I estimate, somewhere around $400 billion. Today, what you have in these enterprises is a hornet's nest of complexity. And what we do is compose workflows that design beautiful experiences. And those experiences can include giving your customer an amazing experience, having your employees highly engaged, and, of course, as you talk about often, true step function productivity improvement through digital transformation. It's not about doing work a little bit better or a little bit different. It's about rethinking the work itself. And these systems of record in the enterprise that have taken 50 years to build have actually created a lot of complexity. So what we do is compose workflows that make work work better for people. It gives them a consumer-grade experience in the enterprise. It helps them achieve their mission, a couple of clicks, and they're done. And that's what it's all about, simple, speed, and dynamite execution. That's how companies win. There's a great moment in the call, by the way, where you say that 75,000 people in an agency, 75 different systems, they bring you in and you're pretty much loved. Can you put in perspective a 97% renewal rate versus where you worked in an unbelievably good firm, SAP? Yeah, this, um, this company has the leading uh, customer loyalty in the industry. Our customers love our products. And that's what's truly amazing about ServiceNow, the engineering pride in this company, the excellence in delivering products that customers truly love is like no place else I've seen. The example that you give, Jim, is a 75,000-person organization <laughs> with 75 different systems essentially designed to do the same thing. We take the data, compose it in a ServiceNow portal where all the workflow can be easily put together for people to do their job simply. It's up and running in days and for a very complex operation a few months, not years and years and years. And it's very affordable because we're a cloud company. So you get instant time to value, people are happy using it, and you drive real business results. That's why we're growing faster than everyone else. Well, let's talk about how fast. You talk several times in this, and you're talking about being a $10 billion company. Now, most companies never get to be $10 billion. What's your timetable? Well, you know, we're, we haven't put an exact year on it, but if you do the math, it won't take too long. And what we're seeing now and the way we guided the company, you know, we just got done growing this company more than 35% on a year-over-year basis. And now we're well over a $4 billion cloud company. Um, if you look at the RPO of the company, meaning the revenues that are there, but we haven't really recognized them yet, um, we're over $6.5 So the company's getting big fast. But we're doing it the right way. And that's why I credit it, as you mentioned, our founder, Fred Luddy. He invented a great company. Our first CEO, Frank Slootman, did a very good job. And my predecessor and great friend, John Donahoe, did a fantastic job setting the company up for this next phase of scale and growth. So it's been led well. Things have been done correctly. And most importantly, we've never lost that hungry and humble culture for the customer. And maybe, maybe even, if we keep this up, Jim, we can be unstoppable. Uh, I, uh, look, I know you, and I know you are unstoppable, and you're a great leader. Uh, Bristol Myers, can you just tell me what you've done for that? I think that's a good... Uh, I was tr struggling between Bristol and v the ver veterans, but I know we all know Dr. Caforio. I'm sure he's a good friend of yours. I just think it would be great to put in perspective for people who don't understand what you guys do, exactly what you're doing for BMY. 
Yeah, I mean, if you take that situation, you now have, there's a talent war out there, Jim. So when you onboard employees, you want to take the complete life cycle of the employee, everything about their experience in coming into the company, and making it simple. You know, where should they go to work? What's their office like? What kind of devices do they use? How do we line them up for all their benefits? How do we teach them their comp plan and give them their 401ks and all the facility needs that they need in the company? And how do we do that on a mobile application and do that in 15 minutes instead of a month and a half or three months? And what's happening now, and smart companies are seeing this, you can't make young people happy you can't make young people want to work for your company if you're not digital. And this digital transformation is really touching people. And that's one example. Veteran Affairs was another example. You now have 500,000 um, veterans and contractors using ServiceNow's workflow to make their life easier, give them the benefits that they need, give them the care that they need, but do it instantaneously, do it digitally, and make it simple. And that is the dynamite part of ServiceNow. It's the only company I know at mass scale that's truly giving that consumer-grade experience. You know, I went to one airline, and I'm talking to the CEO, and the conversation was like, look, we have 99% of our employees that are minimum wage workers. We can't have complex systems that people don't want to use. We're done investing in giant systems with thousands of contractors running around that take us years and years to implement. We need results now, and that's why they love right. service now. Okay. Well, look, I've got to tell you, Bill, it's great to see you again. We were all, some of us were concerned that you, when you left SAP, that we, you faded the horizon, <laughs> but that obviously is not true. I want to thank Bill McDermott. He is the uh, president and CEO of ServiceNow, which is up $26 today. Good to see you, Bill. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, everybody. Meantime, the World Health Organization holds an emergency meeting today to determine whether to declare a public health emergency regarding the coronavirus. Here's what we know so far. Chinese officials say the death toll has risen to 170, 7,900 cases worldwide, and the number of cases in China surpasses the total cases during the SARS epidemic of 03. Meantime, the president appoints and meets with the coronavirus task force yesterday, set to meet daily to discuss ongoing developments, both domestic and overseas. Joining us now is the head of that task force, U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. Mr. Secretary, good morning. Good to have you with us. Glad to be with you all. Thank you very much. You said um, um, when you announced the task force that the risk of infection for Americans remains low. Will that assessment change if uh, World Health does declare an emergency? Uh, no. It, what the World Health Organization does in terms of declaring whether there's a public health emergency of international consequence won't change in any way. What we're doing here in the United States to prepare and respond to the novel coronavirus threat, as you mentioned, the threat to any individual American is really quite low at this time. But under President Trump's direction, we're proactively preparing in the event of further spread, and we're taking necessary steps to prevent and mitigate the potential for future spread. We've seen a lot of uh, selective flight restrictions from the airlines themselves. What would it take to mandate flight restrictions? 
Well, we're not going to take any public health options off the table to protect the American public. But what we're seeing already is a diminution in flights going back and forth between China and the United States, just as a natural consequence of the State Department has put in place what's called a level four travel advisory for Hubei province, the epicenter, which means don't travel there. And then a level three for all of China, meaning um, to think very carefully before traveling there. So we've seen flights come down. We're seeing air traffic going down on a passenger basis. So this is naturally occurring as we speak. Yeah, well, we can understand, Mr. Secretary, why Americans certainly would not be traveling to China. But my understanding is as many as 8,000 people from China can arrive here every day on flights. Given the nature of the virus as we understand it so far, where you're not necessarily presenting symptoms for as long as seven to 10 days, why aren't we just stopping them from arriving here? Well, we're going to take all necessary public health approaches that are that are appropriate. We've got at the major airports where Chinese flights come in and Chinese travelers come in, we're ta- we're using our surveillance or quarantine and inspection services surveillance systems to ensure that individuals coming in are are looked at and if they identify with any type of symptoms as we always do for illness, they'll be pulled aside and we'll be able to explore that. In addition, this is most important for any type of infectious disease situation, we're educating people as they come in to be on the lookout for presenting any symptoms. It's important to remember that the five individuals that we have identified in the United States with this novel coronavirus uh, came in not as a result of proactive screening of them, but rather because they self-identified as having symptoms and were taken into the public health system as a result. And so you you think that's enough because, again, these people can certainly leave the airport without having been identified given they may not be showing symptoms. You think it's enough to rely on them to self-identify if, in fact, they do get sick? What we do is a multi-layered approach. So we do border screenings and surveillance. But the most important part of what we do, why America has the best public health system in the world, is we do the basic blocking and tacking of public health, which is we've educated and alerted from the outset our healthcare providers to be on the alert for symptoms and risk factors. We isolate individuals who present potential symptoms, we diagnose them, we treat them, and then we do the contact tracing of the people that they've been in contact with, and if necessary, the contacts of those contacts. And that's what we have. We have teams deployed, state, local, and CDC, on each of those five individuals and their contacts. Do you feel like you have enough information on the virus at this point to understand uh, what we need to understand about it? Well, we have a lot of knowledge about it, but we've been very transparent that there's some key facts that we don't know about this very novel emerging virus. And that's why we're delighted that China has invited the CDC to participate in a World Health Organization team of experts that will go on the ground in China so that we can work with Chinese experts, look at the data, develop the tests that we want to do to ensure we get a better sense of how contagious is this virus? Um, What is the severity of the virus? Um, What do we see in terms of the incubation period on the virus? So all of those, the basic information that we've got to get a real epidemiological profile on this, and we're there to help the Chinese do that. All right, Mr. Secretary Jim Cramer, I am confused about the notion of allowing flights from China, from this, from that city, whatever. I try to think, if I am from living in the PRC, I know that my health care system is not nearly as good as the United States. I know that, that there is one, that there's Shanghai has three hospitals. Each one handles 500,000 people. I know that I've got a third-rate medical system with not great doctors. Don't I want to be on a plane in the United States and get sick here? 
So, Jim, we're actually not seeing that. In fact, the Chinese government has shut down travel out of the Hubei province, and so we don't have any direct flights coming from Wuhan to the United States anymore. Uh, We have occasional travelers who have routed from there through other cities, and we're actually identifying them with active surveillance. And then the other individuals coming from China, we're seeing a fairly radical diminution in travel even from China into the United States, as well as the downscaling of flights. Um, But we're going to take any steps that are recommended by our teams as public health measures to protect the American people. We have, I have seen some comparisons to the Chinese ability to treat uh, medical instances at scale and how arguably that's much better than it was during SARS many years ago. Would you agree with that assessment? Well, I was here for SARS. I've been here for anthrax. I was here for SARS, smallpox preparedness, monkeypox, pandemic flu, Ebola. So we've got a team that's got a heck of a lot of experience, both in leadership as well as our the world's best career public health people. And what I have seen so far is a fairly radical departure in terms of the Chinese government's communication, transparency, and cooperation with us and the world community compared to SARS. Could it be better? Well, we'll see. But I'm really happy we're going to be part of this World Health Organization team. And that China has uh, invited the CDC to be part of that on the ground in China. Well, Mr. Secretary, what is the reason for taking the risk, slight as it may be, as you seem to explain, of letting in or continuing to allow people from China to travel here? Why? Why would we? Uh, So whenever you're dealing with a public health issue like this, um, notions of shutting one's border down, for instance, borders are very porous all around the world. So individuals can come from different places and you can actually sometimes create hysteria simply by taking various measures. We have active advisories in place against travel to various parts of China and, in fact, a level three State Department warning suggesting Americans shouldn't travel to any part of China unless they take very serious precautions and think hard about why they should be traveling there. We're going to take any steps that are necessary, though, to protect the American public, but they need to make sense. They should be justified. Um, But we're going to take any steps we needed. Nothing's off the table. Mr. Secretary, would you go to Wuhan? Would I go to Wuhan? Of course not, because we have a level we have a level four advisory saying Americans should not go to Hubei province. So I wouldn't go there unless I need to. I want to get to Beijing and I want to get on a plane to here. I mean, and we're tracking and and we're tracking any individual who would come. You can't tell. I mean, that's the whole point of the thing. A two-week gestation period, and so you can't tell. I see people trying to take temperatures of people, and I, I'm not laughing at that. Everything matters. But, I mean, isn't the whole thing that's really scary, Mr. Secretary, that you, you don't know you have it, and nobody knows you have it, what, and you can't monitor all those people who come here? I'm trying to figure out why it's scary. I listen to you, and I think, well, it's no, I have a flu shot. I'm doing well. Everybody else is doing well. It's what we have in this country is worse than what they have. And I, I don't know. Maybe we're all making too much of it, but I don't want a person from China next to me. Well, Jim, it's important not to overreact and to use evidence. And so when individuals travel, they're going to travel. They're going to travel in the United States from various ways. They could travel through France or through Germany. Um, And so we need to take steps. We need to take steps that are appropriate to protect the public health. Nothing is off the table. Um, But we also just shouldn't take steps that are symbolic to make us feel good. We should do what's necessary, because at the end of the day, with any infectious disease, the profile of this is not uncommon. Diseases have incubation periods. Um, People with respiratory illness shed the virus most commonly when they are symptomatic and when they're most symptomatic. The public health infrastructure, the basic blocking and tackling, educate, identify, isolate, diagnose, treat, contact trace. This is what solves public health outbreaks of infectious disease. It has in every instance in the past. It's what we did with the latest measles outbreak. It's what we're doing now. 
Well, the education part is uh, helpful, obviously, to our viewers everywhere, Mr. Secretary. Appreciate you coming on, and please come back with as many updates as you can. Thank Alex you. Glad Azar. to be with you. Jim, what's on Matt tonight? First, I just have to say, Mr. Secretary did make me, I don't want to say someone makes you feel better, but well, he's seen it all, and there's obviously some perspective given, so i got to point that out. I mean, we hit, said all the tough thing. I felt better. Yep. You know? uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the greatest technology stock you've ever seen, and it's on wheels, to give you a hint. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.